startups that are bootstrapped, they're really businesses already. The problem is when you do that, you're most likely going to hire awesome people who are going to do awesome things. To me, that's that's maybe there's a way to just kind of start over a little bit. Hey, listener, this is Adam Beta. My name is Peter Soom, and my co-host is Matt Wensing. Matt is the founder of Summit, and I'm the founder of Reform. And on this podcast, you get to follow along on our startup journeys. Don't forget to check out our website on adabeta.fm to find our entire back catalog and other resources, including our Start Here page for new listeners. Let's go. This is part two of our Q&A episode. And uh, before we dive into the second round of questions, I'll just talk about our sponsor a little bit which is Feature Upvote. And um, Feature Upvote, they provide a Feature Upvote board for your app so users can add feature requests. We've talked about it for a few weeks now. And other users can upvote uh, those feature requests. So it's really neat. It's a, way to bring, it's a way to bring your users into your roadmap planning and kind of you know hear them and have a one central place where... Uh, you can get this feedback instead of all over the place. So, uh, and it should be easy for you to see which features are most popular because there's a democracy aspect to it. And um, a really cool thing about Feature Upvote is that if you're an out of beta listener, you get a 20% discount. And you can read more about Feature Upvote and the discount by going to featureupvote.com slash out of beta. And I really like that Steve set up a dedicated out of beta page with some out of beta messaging and a message to our listeners. <laughs> so um, I think that's a really nice touch. So yeah. people should check it out. Okay, next one. Okay, the next question is from Jay Snyder. He says, how do you avoid overcomplicating slash overperfecting the first iteration of your product? How do you make yourself okay with that? Mm. Okay with not overcomplicating it. Mm-hmm. Overcomplicating, overperfecting. I think that's two different things. <laughs> mm-hmm. Complicating something is like adding too much stuff. Overperfecting it, it is uh, something else. Yeah, I, I think overperfecting is almost like that doesn't exist. It can't be too perfect. <laughs> um, it wouldn't be perfect. So it's really about complicating, I think. Yeah, I think this goes back to the Jason Cohen article Simple, Lovable, Complete. Because I think, um, I think what Derek did with uh, Savical that really inspired me with Reform, and also to that you have done with parts of Summit is focus a lot on like you you have maybe over perfected the cell language, <laughs> but it's mm-hmm. uh, it's also very important for what you're trying to prove. You haven't over perfected your checkout flow or your website for example your website is not mm. perfect right now and um, yeah. with Bjorn and I so we actually prioritized the website early on we only had a website and then we had a form that was hard coded on the Netlify forms backend product so we didn't have a form builder which is what we eventually wanted to build but we mm. were just trying to see if people wanted if they liked the kind of form that our form builders would build and if they resonated with kind of like our aesthetics for you know the product and uh, the messaging so we spent a ton of time on the website and positioning early on but i think it was worth it um mm-hmm. i think yeah so but we we picked something that we perfected 
right? And we didn't yeah. try to perfect everything. We just tried to do one thing to show, kind of like show people what we had in mind. I like that. I I think that fits with what I, um, I think your goal, <laughs> your goal is to actually release the fewest number of features necessary to get to product market fit, right? Yeah, good point. In, in that case, what you're actually trying to do is keep that as small as possible and keep that surface area as small as possible. And so what you really want to do is once you know, what I would say is once you learn more by releasing something than you will by continuing to work on it, then you should release it, right? Um, And you'll learn more by getting it out there than you will by continuing to build. So your confidence in what you're doing should start to, like your confidence in the marginal benefit of continuing to work on it you get that feeling that it's going down because you now you're like i think this is better i think that's better you learn more by releasing it i think that to me is like this um this invisible line that you cross but your goal is to build as little as possible to get to to growth right ideally it's just one big search box <laughs> so um it what i think yeah. it also really depends on what you're competing with mm because for what we're doing, like we couldn't build an MVP form builder bef- mm. pre-launch. That was not our goal because that would take a long time. And even if we spent a long time, it'd probably be worse than the other form builders. So what are we proving by releasing a worse form builder when our whole thing is we're, it's a better mousetrap? So we can't test that with a worse mousetrap because they already have a mousetrap. Yeah. And so I think that it's important to as you said, know what you're trying to learn. And if you, if you have something that's not very good and, but you feel like I have to show it to customers, I have to get real, I have to know, blah, blah, blah. Like actually you could, you kind of just like use it yourself and see that it's bad or like show it to your co-founder or your spouse or whatever. And they would tell you that they can't use it. It doesn't have to be a customer by showing it to an actually potentially customer you just scaring them away and you're not really yeah learning anything that you couldn't just think think yourself yeah i mean it's sort of like why why are you yeah why are you continuing to do this uh get into people's hands see what they're willing to live with learn i think um yeah i think the first version is there to teach you something and just be clear about what it is you're trying to learn and if you yeah. know that if it's if it's going to teach you that, get it out there. If you don't know what you're trying to learn through that first version, then you don't know then then you don't know where to stop, right? <laughs> so yeah. Should be learning something. Yeah, and I think in some instances it makes sense to like test parts of your idea. Like maybe if you're building a signature like e signature app and part of a part of the idea is that you have a different way that people can sign that requires like drawing on whatever, like their phone or something. You want to maybe test just that interaction to see if it's actually better. But oftentimes like you won't really learn anything unless you have something that people can actually use. So you actually just have to ask that question. Is this something people can use or can we use this to like learn something at least? So that's right. Cool. Next question is from Nathan Powell from feature flux. And he says, we constantly hear that it's easier than ever to build and launch products. But with so many saturated markets, should we? 
have the odds of success decreased over recent years? Mm. Good question. Yeah. Um. I think it really depends. Yeah, I exactly. Like markets are always changing. I do I okay, one thought to bring in here that's different than just like eh yeah, exactly like you said it depends. I think that's half the answer. The other half is there is just like I'm you know, I'm sitting in a home, there's copper wires that get to this home, there's infrastructure, there's all kinds of stuff that is very permanent. <laughs> and defensible and long lasting. And it is very hard to come into those markets as a new player, right? So I think the internet's not that, it's similar. There's certain parts of the internet that are now like saturated. I would say like social networks, even if you create one and it grows fast, somebody's going to buy it. You're not gonna be Facebook, (laughs) Um, et cetera. So there's certain things that are saturated and defensible. But then there's other things that are saturated but highly vulnerable. And because technology is always changing, that opens up opportunities. And also, one thing that I think is interesting is like there's bundling and unbundling that's always happening. And people's preferences shift back and forth between wanting things to be bundled and wanting things to be unbundled. And so, yes, a market may be saturated with a bunch of unbundled solutions, for example. But then suddenly preferences shift because there's this new thing to take advantage of. And now people actually want things bundled together. And so your opportunity is to do, you know, to do the different thing uh, than everyone else. So I think so, but I do think that advantages are, you know, there are certain companies you just can't build without funding, I will say. It's like harder and harder to create a large company without some amount of funding, like imagine trying to create, so Figma competes with Photoshop. You might say Photoshop was like this incredibly dominant product, but Figma was able to compete with Photoshop, but it did take funding and it does take a lot of effort. And before you have a viable rival to Photoshop, you have some years and years of building. Superhuman took years and years of building. I mean, some products do take a lot of building. And I think one thing that I'm noticing is that I feel like the the bar in the bar does feel like it's higher now than it was ten years ago. Like all the features that are in a product, all the things you can do with it, I feel like that's higher. Um, but I don't know that it's I don't know that it's harder. I think um, you have to be smarter, but I don't think it's harder. I think you know a two person, three person, four person team can still do an amazing amount, um, paradoxically, because they get to use technology at the same time. Yeah, I think the bar is higher, but the tools are better. Like Bjorn and I couldn't build a form builder and get, you know, more than 100 customers in a year, 10 years ago. Well, not the same kind of form builder, at least. It would just take much more to make that stuff work. I mean, probably people would expect less. Maybe they would expect something like Wufu. I don't know if you could build Wufu as fast. Like we, when we started building Form Builder, we had a Form Builder that we could rebuild our own form within three weeks, and that's just because we were we had so many tools available to do that, like libraries, open source libraries, and all that stuff. 
I was listening to this podcast with uh, Intercom, the Intercom on product with Des Trainer and uh, their head of product or something. I don't remember his name, but they were talking about momentum and they were also kind of talk about the the bar now is pretty high like today like if if people if you have some sort of like text editor or like way to send messages in your product like people expect emojis and like files and all these things and i was thinking like notion they invented kind of like a new way to you know write a document and like whole new like interaction but people kind of just expect that everywhere now. Like people expect to be able to do the mm. same things in the reform form builder. <laughs> Google Docs had to add it. Like, but it's for Notion. It was like a core part of their product, and then now it's like just something that everyone expects us to like, you know, slap on our products. Yeah. And there's just so many of these things. But then at the same time, like there are all these libraries that we can use to build this stuff. But it's a lot. It's just a lot. Yeah. But I. I, I and I. I also think like if you follow people that build in public, like just kind of the fact that a lot of people follow them online while they build in public shows you that they're good at marketing and like, you know, getting people to look at what they're doing. So they probably, they're, it's probably to their advantage, like they can build pretty products and, and get people excited about them. I think there are probably still a ton of products where you don't need that and where the bar is much lower, especially like maybe in an enterprise con context, especially in the design part. Then there'll be other things like SOC 2 and single sign-on. Oh, it's but, a huge... You know, there are solutions yeah. for all these things now. But yeah, the bar is just pretty high. There are solutions for them, but then as those solutions become easier, then expectations go higher, more people come in. I would say... For an exceptional person, i.e. a great founder, there's just as much opportunity as before, but it's not any easier. <laughs> uh, and some things are harder, right? Um, yeah. But I think, yeah, for for it's easier than ever to build, I would say, a small SaaS, something that just adds value to the world, creates some value and, and gets paid for and gets the job done. Like, I think that's, that's definitely easier yeah. to build a giant company. I don't think it was easy to be a tech entrepreneur when we had floppy disks. No, that was way harder, right? Access to all of that. It's made it better. It's, um, but there's just a lot more competition to be the bit. Now, the thing is this, most of the competition is everybody wants to be this great big thing. And so it does leave kind of this, bottom layer here where there's a lot of opportunities that are just ignored like and that's why when you go to things like microconf you hear about people who oh yeah we have a successful SaaS business that does like countertop material and measurements estimates for home improvement people and you're like what <laughs> but like that's ignored right by most of the people who are like you said building emoji ready chat widgets in intercom because it's just too small right so yep and we know it with our products, like as soon as you have like a canvas or a form builder, people expect undo to work and <laughs> copy and paste. And it's like, you actually yeah. have to do something to make that work. But people expect you do. It. Yep. Yeah. Good cool. Question. Next question is from Rob Ryan from Cosmetics Now. <laughs> when I first read it, I thought it was Cosmetics Now. But I think it's Cosmetics Now. <laughs> something to do with makeup. He says curious of each of your success conditions slash milestones 
as in to still be working full-time on reform or summit in say two years and then five years what kind of revenue would you want to be seeing hmm should i go first uh sure i mean i think to still be working on reform summit in two years means that we've successfully gone gone to market and i put that in air quotes because yeah what does that mean it means that we've just distribution is working multiple channels of distribution is working it's growing fast if it's not doing that i'm not working on it full-time in less i mean i would say in a year i'm probably not working on it full-time if it's not growing quick enough so that answers the second part of the question too then which is okay if that's true then five years from now it's a you know it's an it's an eight figure plus revenue a year business that's the, you know, that to me would be five years from now, if it's not, you know, in that, if it's not in that range, then it's, uh, then I've failed. Yeah, for us, it's, we, we won't be working on it full time this winter if we don't start to see um, some of the acquisition stuff working, basically, because we'll be running out of money before that. And I don't want to um, involve any more investors in this unless I feel like I'm ready for the next, the next stage. That, that, that's good. That's actually a com that's something we have in common, which is I have investors as well. And I know those investors and I are aligned and looking for something that's growing fast <laughs> and it doesn't have to be hyper fast, but it can't be kind of just boring and slow and steady. Cause we can't get, we can't get there from here. If the growth rate isn't a certain number, it's just going to take too long for anybody to really get sufficiently rewarded for their efforts. So, yeah. I think uh, if if I'm working on it in two years, I'm working on it in five years, unless something bad happened to me or we got acquired and I don't have to yeah, go there. That's a great, yeah, I agree. Like the five-year follows pretty quickly. Two, the next two years are critical for we either have product market fit or we don't. And uh, that can't take more than the next, what's what's left of our current runway, actually. Yeah, and if reform works within that time, like, I'll be I'll, I'll be enjoying those, like, three years and probably yeah. have another baby or... Three to five is going to be or... awesome, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, if those Live first two life. go well, the rest is pretty awesome. Um, yeah. yeah. Cool. Then there's a question from my wife, Maya. She says, uh, to what extent do you see your business as part of your personal identity? Mm -hmm. I see being an entrepreneur as part and parcel or intricate, uh, integral to my personal identity. I think, um, making, creating something from scratch, that zero to one phase is, is who I, it's what I like to do. And it's what I do best, I think. So that's uh, pretty close. I don't, I don't think the subject matter is like I did weather last time around yeah, weather's cool, but like I don't think about it nearly as much as I used to. I'm doing modeling and mathematical things this time around, and that's really interesting. I could geek out about that, but you know, the subject matter, like the next thing I do, could be completely different. So it's not really that that's um, connected to my identity. It's more just the the striving, the adventure, the building. Yeah. Yeah, for me, it's uh, it really depends. Like if I'm amongst other 
um, like so okay so my identity is that as an art that I'm an entrepreneur like everyone around me know that and kind of see that I live a different life than a lot of people I know and work at, at different times than they normally work I I would say that reform is not part of my identity because well if I go to a conference now I'm the the reform guy on Twitter it's a big part of my identity um but the a lot of people in my life like when I if I haven't seen someone for a year like they'll ask about the previous business so they they know me as an entrepreneur but they I don't see reform as part of my identity there like and I have a lot of other things that I am interested in outside of entrepreneurship that so like it really depends on kind of which group I'm in <laughs> amongst my friends mm -hmm. I'm not that's not, it's not my, part of my identity yeah I, I funny side comment I used I when, when I was starting my first startup I think I talked about it I mean it, it was it was I think it was more consuming in a bad way in the sense that I think I probably talked about it too often and too much all the time to, to, to everyone around me like it was just very you know so much more consuming nowadays you know people ask me I tell them and if I'm really excited I got to go share a win with somebody but I think I found a better balance this time around, which is good. Like, hey, I also like this activity. I also like doing things around the house. Like, I'm also excited about the, you know, what the kids. I, I'm trying to be more balanced. I don't know if the people around me would <laughs> would see that. I should ask them to review me. But from the inside looking out, I feel like I'm um, less obsessed. Might be the way to say it, um, while still very engaged. Yeah. Yeah, I don't mention reform to people when I introduce myself. Yeah. <laughs> if they ask what yeah. I do, like I say that I have a small IT company or some IT startups. Like yeah. I don't say the word reform or the, right. that we are a form builder. Yeah. If somebody asked me, like somebody asked me yesterday, they came by the house, oh, what do you do? I'm like, oh, I'm a software developer. Like I didn't even really, just so I could help them understand what it is I'm doing. Yeah. I've gone on a lot longer, but only if they ask. So, yep. Yeah. And then she wants to see a picture of your dog. Oh, he's sleeping right here. So I'm going to take a picture and then we can uh... add it to the thread, maybe on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you can. Here. Oh. You can see him right now. See? Hello, Kobe. Oh, he is sleeping. Good yeah. boy. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Makes editing easier. <laughs> the next one is from Jesse Hanley from Bento. And he um, he categorized it as a fun one himself. So um, <laughs> for both businesses, do you think there is a revenue ceiling based on competitors and other people in the space you share? What do you think the ceiling is? What will make you hit slash not hit it? And then he clarified by saying where this question is coming from. I look at the form space, for example, and see companies like Typeform blitz the market, huge revenues, and then others hit a wall like form keep what do you mm. think primarily contributes to this artificial ceiling maybe i'll talk about the form yeah, space first yeah i think people um overestimate how big form like company like typeform is it's it's definitely uh millions of dollars of ar and i think typeform has crossed a hundred million dollar but the the big player in the space is SurveyMonkey, and they're a public company 
and you so you can look up their revenue. And I think the last time I checked, it was only a couple hundred million. So it's it's definitely not like a a billion dollar space. It's at least not yet. So, and but at the same time, like I have a good idea about. Well, I've just I can see a lot of other form builder startups uh, being created and and have been created in the past. So, you know, um, a company and other form builders. Uh, there's was built five, four or five years ago as paper form and they've been public with their revenue. I think they're at a, a couple million dollars in ARR in four to five years. I think that would be a great place uh, to be. And, you know, they're probably, they're probably still growing. So they're probably uh, past that point now. Um, and then, you know, type form is a really popular one, but it's just not as big as you probably think. And um, I think the way I think about that ceiling is if you wanted to build a really, really big business, you would have to feature differentiate a lot from like just being a form builder. It really depends if you want to go like more like an enterprise route um, or if you want to go like more of a, if you, if you want to build a form builder that uh, enterprises can use to... Um, on their like consumers so like if you're a form builder that coca-cola can use to like build forms if they run like you know some giveaway or something um yeah but i think that's probably what survey monkey is doing as well and they're just not that big so yeah there's definitely is a ceiling um i think you if you wanted to go past that ceiling um you would have to be a multi-product or just like yeah, make the product scope, increase the product scope from just being a form builder, I think. Cool. Okay. Makes sense. Do you have a, a question for your space? Yeah, I mean, I I think um, who knows about the future in terms of competitors entering and like maybe taking the wind out of our sails, etc. So I, I, I can't really, I can't. I could speculate that somebody comes along in whatever amount of time and just like takes the market that we're going after. But if I look at it from like just a TAM perspective, like how many people are out there, I work from two directions, bottoms up and tops down. So tops down, there's, and I'm going to cross the, I'm going to reduce these numbers a lot, but like almost a billion people using G Sheets and Excel that are out there. Not everybody that uses G Sheets and Excel is a potential summit user. But you cut that number in half many times and you still have tens of millions of people. Another direction to look at it is, you know, how many like Python, JavaScript, like developer developers are out there. There's tens of millions of those. There's 30 million Notion users. Like the space that Summit is going into is somewhere in that horizontal office productivity developer data space. <laughs> and it's tens of millions of people that we think would be good users of Summit. Um, not necessarily like Summit developers and experts, but able to use the product and get some value out of it. So that's tens of millions of users. And what is what is our average revenue per user? Um, we, we're freemium play, so not everybody's going to be a user, but that's how I get to the, you know, I want this to be a $100 million revenue per year company plus, because I think you can get there on 10 to 20 million users, probably. And I think we could have more users than that 
eventually. So um, if we can get to, you know, even, I mean, a million, let's do the math. A million paying customers <laughs> is $10 million a month in revenue. I don't know why we can't get to a million paying customers with a product that says horizontal is summit. Um, so that's my kind of goal, you know, hundred million dollars plus per year revenue. We'll see. Nice. It's the last question it's from Andy Jones. What's the marketing slash growth strategy when you're still trying to find product market fit? Mm. I think the marketing and growth. Yeah. Yeah. But like where, where is product in this question? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, finding product market fit is not a marketing or growth problem. It's uh, also a product problem and yeah. positioning. And so f- like keywords for me uh, are iteration <laughs> on the product mm. and momentum. I think it's important to try to keep like some sort of momentum, keep thinking about like, and I, and that I think that's what marketing is really good for early on. Mm. Think about like how you how to not run out of people to talk to. Leads, you could call it leads if you want to, but you need people. You need a lot of people uh, to come through your product and give you feedback, and that are probably not going to be a good fit, so they're not going to stick around to just learn what you need to learn to get product market fit. Unless you're one of the few people that or companies that just kind of get it early on, and yeah. it just works. Um, yeah, but it. That's not very common. No, it's, it's, it's product and market. And, but I think the connection for me is usually even once you have a product that's in, that the market's going to appreciate, you still have to figure out how to get it to them. So mm. distribution is often the key and recognizing that while your Twitter following will follow you and watch you work in public and your family will buy the thing just based on knowing who you are in the early days, but like, and your friends, like at some point you have to, I, I think people, a mistake that I see people make is extrapolating from their personal network or even like the first and second tier of their personal network to the market in general, because we're so bad at comprehending how big a hundred thousand is or a million is. So you actually end up thinking that like, Oh, the hundred people that are around me are like somehow either representative of, or like are going to get me to a million (laughs) because we really are bad at comprehending how big a million is compared to a hundred. Right. And so I think the only way to overcome that is distribution and to somehow get to those people. And that's why, there's that great quote. I forget who said this, but it was getting <laughs> the startup race is essentially can the startup find distribution before the incumbents find innovation or get to innovation. So if you're hmm. an incumbent, you have distribution, but you, you struggle with innovation. And if you're a startup, you don't struggle with innovation because you, you're decisive. You have all this going on in your head, like so quick. You see things, you do things, but you struggle with distribution. And I think the answer here is like you, your product is probably really, once you have an innovative product, packaging and distributing it so that the common person who you probably don't interact with on Twitter can actually find it and use it and tell their friends about it. 
it, it's a it's a much bigger gap than people realize. Um, so I think the marketing growth strategy when you're still trying to find that is get the product right first and then obsess over, yeah, how are we going to distribute this thing? And, um, and, and actually one final thought, I think in all, most product market fit cases, meaning exponential growth, you still have to go like start a little fire somewhere to get it going. Like it's not enough to just sit there and expect like, well, now I have a, I have a new marketing site and we got some SEO going on. Like you still have to somehow go ignite, listen, go back. I would actually encourage this person, go back and read um, Nathan Barry's ConvertKit uh, thread about how he started that and the struggle that he was on to, what was his marketing growth strategy? And the thing I took away from that, and I know you can read it different ways, was he was very deliberate about going and starting little fires in all these different, very targeted niches. And that's what started the growth engine. But like, it wasn't enough just to have ConvertKit and like try to tell people about it. Like he had to just, he had to take it to market, right? So that was a great thread, I think, on this topic. I agree. And you you can't, you have to appreciate that you really don't know anything. Mm. And especially mm-hmm. if you don't have any customers, like you definitely don't know anything. So... And that's what I, I mean with momentum as well is yeah, kind of starting that little fire and and you we've launched so many times with reform already and we get better at it every time. Which is why we do well on Product Hunt, because we started launching the website, it did fairly well. And then we did the same thing when we launched the product on Twitter, it did really well. And then we launched on Product Hunt, we got number one, and, and we so we, we practice mm-hmm. and um, and we haven't succeeded yet, but we've been pretty good at launching at least. And um, but it's you can't just like build the product, and then when you're ready for people to use it, go on product hunt. Like that's just yeah, that's to you, build it, and they'll come. Like you need to understand yes. what's going on, and you only do that by having people coming through. Yep. Use the word momentum, and I think that that's a good word because that's why like it's it keeps going and it gets faster. Actually, momentum. In order to get to where you're going, you need acceleration. I think people focus on growth and they mm. they don't think enough about acceleration. Like you cannot get to where you want to go size-wise with a linear growth pattern. Yeah. It's just not going to get there. You actually need acceleration because only accelerating growth can overcome churn. Only it can overcome like... Uh, reducing you know the people that are get it first are super excited and they're a little less excited and they're more like oh do i have to use this like you end up running in all these headwinds the only way you can possibly get to the mainstream which is what i define as product market fit is by having accelerating growth like you gotta you gotta be going faster and that's why people love that flywheel model because every time you add to it you push you know every time you push on it it gets a little bit faster a little bit better and you need leverage so i would look for things that can um that you can leverage. And I think that's what SEO like potentially has is like, you're, you're not losing, you're building a foundation that's like better and better. I I think I would avoid things that have like effort return and then you got to do it again. Like that, that's good, but that's not enough. Like the spikes are not enough to get you to where you want to go. SEO and isolation is not 
liquid in the beginning. I also don't think it's it, enough either. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's it's too long of a feedback cycle. You got to push you on the wheel. <laughs> and the way SEO is going to work is that you know uh, who you're going to go after. Yep. Yep. Jordan so. Gal, he, uh, he, he DM'd me after we launched... I don't recall if it was when we just launched a product or if we launched on Product Hunt, but he DM'd me and he was like, my friend, you have momentum right now. Do everything you can to not lose that. I We've lost it now. I think that's why we're at a plateau, obviously. That's kind of like one way to define that. Um, mm. But that's what he said. It's like, don't make, do everything you can to not lose that momentum because you have mm. it right now and it's really hard to get it back. I, I think it's really true. Yep. That's the key. Cool. This is fun. I mean, that's, that's, I think, something that Paul Graham got really right when he talks about, like, if you if you don't die, you know, no one can touch. Like, if you don't die, you're going to still be around. <laughs> um, yeah. So just try to not die and just keep going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you, in some sense, you need... Um, a startup in a, in a way, like a successful startup is is like a series of of necessary miracles in a way like Mm -hmm. everything that all the incumbents in the landscape that's there like they don't want change they don't want you to be here they don't need they like you're not want like you're not welcome here like you're not the the market that exists like actually isn't looking to switch tools to like deal with you (laughs) listen to your market like you're you're kind of you're you're kind of this distracting new thing and you have to earn your right to be heard and to exist and everything else. Like the natural course is for you to be dead in X months or years. Like that's what the market heads towards. That's, that's gravity. That's sort of just the natural course of thing. If you want to live, like you have to fight and earn <laughs> and create miracles sort of to and keep if you start, going, right? And if you start really small, like, you know, think of a bootstrap and it's just a side project. You're not really committed to it. You know, you have a day job and you just have this thing on the side. Like you can't stay along. You can't stay alive for a very long time. And you might yeah. be fooling yourself because you wouldn't be staying alive if you had to actually do this. Yeah. If yeah, you confronted like to... the thing <laughs> that you're working on, you would, it, yep. you would die. Yeah. The walking dead. Cool. Yeah, on that note, <laughs> like to say, um, that's fun. I think that was like one and a half hours of questions. Loved it. Thanks, community. Which will be two episodes. Yeah, thank you so much for all the questions. And uh, next week, Matt and I will be back from vacation. And uh, yeah, back on schedule again. All right. Talk to right you later. Right on time. Thanks, man. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye.